a 1950s folk tune turned classic soul single. A mesmerizing song from the early 70s. And an epic opus to celebrate a 50th anniversary. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. And today we are celebrating 50 episodes of Music and Perspectives. Whether this is your first listen or you've heard them all, thank you so much for listening. And to help us make another 50 and beyond, please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I really count doing this show as a great privilege in my life. Getting the opportunity to talk to so many incredible artists and people about how they think about music is an absolute joy. So a massive thank you to all of the guests we've had in the past 50 episodes. And for this episode, we're going all the way back to the same panel from episode one. So joining me for this 50th deep dive into some tracks are frequent fixtures of themes and variation, Mihaly Lee and Martin Fowler. But before we jump into the episode, we have something very special going on at soundfly.com with our Summer of Synthwave Calm Trues Remix Contest. This is your chance to remix the unreleased Calm Trues banger Dynetics and win some incredible prizes from Arturia, D16, Samples from Mars, Kilohertz, and more. And you still have plenty of time to get your submission in as the contest closes on September 17th. We've already gotten some amazing submissions like this gem from Bustello. find even more dope music from Bustello on their YouTube channel. That's Bustello, B-U-S-T-E-L-L-O. And to join the Summer of Synthwave Calm Trues Remix Contest, head to soundfly.com, sign up for a subscription, and dive into our course, Calm Trues Mid-Fi Synthwave Slow Motion Funk, for contest details and stems. And if you're not already a subscriber, remember to use the discount code PODCAST, that's PODCAST in all caps, to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. And that is just about enough out of me, so without further ado, let's get into the episode 50. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. May is joining this episode. May, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well, Carter. I'm glad that your energy is like kicking up. Listen to uh, that. Energy's great. We are joined for a very special episode. The one and only repeat guest, Martin Fowler. Marty, how you doing? I'm doing great. I just got myself a coffee. Um, I'm talking over the air horn that Carter so kindly prepared for me, um, which I... Uh, I've ceased doing in recent episodes, um, <laughs> but you know what? A, a, a legacy air horn. It's, it's, I'm here for it. I'll pick up the torch. Guys, we are <laughs> celebrating 50 episodes of themes and variation. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That is, uh, that's, it doesn't, when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound like that many episodes because, like, Joe Rogan's done like 3,000 episodes. Why do you compare yourself to Joe Rogan, though? I'm not comparing myself. We're choice? very different people and we have very different podcasts. But no, when, when you say it out loud, it doesn't seem like, like a lot. We put an episode out every two weeks. There's only been two times, I think, that we um, did not put one out. One of those times because we had COVID. So there, yes. there you go. Um, but yeah, 50 episodes. I'm excited. Well, and, it's a lot uh, too because it's 150 songs. It is. That's, That's true. 
that's 150 a lot of, songs that's a lot of discussion that's mm-hmm. you know and it's been a it's been two years i mean that's yep that's a good chunk of time and it's you know and i'm proud of you guys <laughs> well, if you think about, well yeah i'm proud of you and i'm proud of us and carter's <laughs> been on every single one so when you yeah. think about like the idea of like repertoire you've got a pretty deep repertoire of songs you can performatively talk about <laughs> oh maybe uh as long as the memory keeps up that's that's the thing it's yeah. it's yeah. not as sharp as uh, i'm sure it once was but <laughs> we are celebrating this episode the way we started the podcast with the same panel from episode one songs from the first album i ever bought still to this day one of my favorite episodes guys that was a lot of fun you know what i was thinking the other day if for some reason, God forbid, we ever <laughs> stop, should we end the podcast with songs from the last album I ever bought? Yeah, that's well. I did not mean to hit their apple air horn on that, but that's that's so fire. The last fire. Album I'll ever buy. <laughs> that's dark. Um, yeah. No, I just uh, mean like recently. Yeah, but you would you would flip that to somehow try and predict the future of like mm. what would be the last album you bought before you. Past. That's true. I could put something in my so, will. Anyways. Um, but yeah, we should do that. Um, I love that we're planning how we're going to end the podcast for <laughs> this 50th episode. Um, but I, I, I do have a question for both of you. A classic kickoff question. 50 episodes. Uh, and I'm asking you both for your favorite moment or a favorite moment. I'm sure there are many um, from the podcast. Maybe one you were on, maybe one that you heard. That's tough because I feel like there's multiple ways to look at it. Because obviously you could go the the correct way. <laughs> the way that I, I should go with it and be like, okay, my favorite moments are things like hearing Ryan Lott talk about live another life. That's obviously mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but I also... Like, I really liked the reveal of songs I've heard too many times. And I know that that's a little narcissistic for me to say. But I really like that you in particular, Carter, could not place that cell phone ring composition. That was was a strong one for me. (laughs) Well, I aim to be a a conduit for the listener. And I'm sure most (laughs) listeners knew exactly what the sound was. But... You know, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable, like, oh, maybe they don't know something. Can't know mm. everything all the time. And like uh, I prove that every episode of this podcast. So <laughs> uh, I love that. Marty, your moment from the past 50 episodes. I'm also hesitating to say Ryan Lott because it was just, it's, <laughs> it's fairly recent and it was such an inspirational episode. And we're, you know, we're coming off of the high highs of, of that, of making that course and all the great content that's in that course as well. But I actually think uh, looking like way back, I remember just being so blown away by the fluency of language that Charlie Harding has around talking yeah, about yeah. music and songs. Obviously he has a killer, killer podcast. So he's very well practiced and well versed and is an expert, but just the the, the way that he approaches conceptualizing what music is and what it does to and for us um i just i i just those are the kinds of moments that i love the medium of podcasts Mm. for like in totality so hearing that on our very own podcast and a fairly early episode of our podcast was just so 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 exciting yeah along those lines actually i i haven't brought it up in a while but the kirk hamilton episode Talking to Kirk Hamilton about music makes you excited to that music exists in the world. <laughs> Another <laughs> yeah. good podcast host, yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me to to pick a moment related to guests because there every guest has been amazing, and it really is such an awesome privilege and opportunity to talk to all these incredible people about music and, mm. and get everybody's different perspective, whether you're a musician or not, like, like Adam Klaus we had on, uh, mm-hmm. he's not, he's a definitely will be the first person to say he's not a musician. And, um, but everybody's opinion is so valid and, and it really has helped shape my own opinions about music after a, a lifetime spent forming these weird crutches and opinions about music. So they've all been so fun. I, if I'm going to pull out one moment though, it would be from our very first episode uh, when Marty and I discovered that Mahaya, you had not purchased an album until you were a full-on adult. Mm, yeah, music was first. Um, you were like so. thirty years old, and you had yet I was to 18, it was I your think. first first record. You were much <laughs> older. 
than anticipated. Yeah. Oh, you know what, though? Like, since we're going down memory lane, A, kudos to you for holding it together and not, like, having a fangirl moment over Kimbra, because I... I was not able to keep it together as well as you in that episode. But also finding out that Seth Haley, Calm Trues, and I share a phobia was kind of a nice <laughs> moment for me in a strange way. Which phobia? Was that needles again? Needles, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. You got to anyway. feed birds. Birds are up there. Yeah. I don't like birds. You're just going to out Mahea all of yep. her phobias mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. entire listening audience. Well, those are the two. What's he got? What's he got, Mahea? Yeah, birds What's, with needles what, would be tough. What are oh, my Carter? phobias? Carter doesn't like phobias. standing lar- next to large ships. Yeah. Um, Which oh, is weird. That's such a good one. <laughs> and that's not like a major phobia. I just feel uncomfortable. Like if it's, you know, like a, a ship is a really good example. If you're on a dock next to like a giant ship, you just see like the hull of it. I don't. I don't like it. It skeeves me out a little bit, but I can I can deal. I you can, can cope deal. with so, life, whereas like, and, yeah, needles is a tougher one. In themes and variation tradition, we are so far <laughs> off the rails. Um, this is a music podcast. Uh, Phobia let's, songs, though. Let's listen to some music. <laughs> and with our first selection for this 50th episode. The first time ever I saw thought the sun rose in your eyes. All right, folks, we are listening to the first time ever I saw your face. The Roberta Flack version, that is. We'll get into it. Um, Yeah, so, (laughs) like... As you listeners may have discovered by this point, like we have pretty specific themes for all of our episodes, except for this one. This this episode's theme was just, it's literally 50. And so we had the free reign to just whatever 50 meant to us, whatever way we wanted to go with that. I went with the, uh, the approach of looking up songs from 50 years ago uh, for this one. I know we'll we'll probably touch on that yeah, with our next selection as well. Interpretation a little bit, but we'll, yeah, we'll get, you we'll did. get into it. <laughs> um, the best part of this, so like this was a hard one to pick. I, th- I think it was like maybe one of the most challenging themes. I thought it was going to be way easier. I started by looking at songs from 1962 because I didn't do like the basic amount of math that I needed to do to kick things <laughs> off, which would have been so sick if I did land on one from 1962. Um, but the reason I landed on this, this was the number one song for the year of 1972 oh. uh, on the Billboard charts. Um, so that's where I landed. I also, some other avenues I tried to go down, 50 Cent, thought about it, mm-hmm. decided not to go. Of course, they didn't want to go with 50 ways to, to leave your lover because I was just like, I think, pretty on the nose. Like, of course, somebody's going to do that. we all that, thought about fine. that one. Yep. Moved yeah. on, yeah. I also was like, maybe I'll look at the... Because Rolling Stone has those huge lists of like the 500 greatest songs of all time, um, which was recently updated, I think, a year ago. Uh, number 50 from that list is that Gasolina song. Gasoline. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, yeah, great, yeah. great song. Um, but I wasn't gonna break it down and, and dig into it. And then I thought about what's the current number fifty song. It's Thousand Miles from the Kid Leroy. Um, great track, but uh, for whatever reason, you know, Roberta Flack. I think a lot of people had this experience. Killing me softly. We know the now know the Roberta Flack version, but I always just thought that was the Fugees. You know that hers isn't the original either, right? I do know that version yeah. is not the original either. Uh, it was a cover released by Lori Lieberman. Um, like trying when you try to stop me, Mahay, I got I know, a note you're ready. for you right you there. Are ready. Um, but yeah, it, her version is amazing. It's yeah. incredible. The Fuji's version is also incredible. I just happened to be like ten, <laughs> watching much music, and that was because that I think that record came out in like ninety six, ninety seven. But yeah, uh, I digress. That's uh, is Wait, a cover. Wait, did you listen of... to the Fugees when you were ten in Canada? That's like yeah, very of course. Hip. They were all over that. Killing me softly. The movie theater uh, video. I remember. They're like just always. They're just sitting in a movie theater. That's what I 
Give him a call. Was always on Much Music. Always. So, and I watched cool. Much Music all the time. Um, all the top 40s, top 30s. It was a great time. Um, anyways, this song, uh, The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face, is also a cover uh, originally performed by Peggy Seeger. Uh, it was written by Ewan McCall. The first time ever I saw your face I thought the sun rose in your eyes But Roberta Flack, was, she wasn't aware of the tune until the 1963 version recorded by Joe and Eddie. Before Roberta Flack was a singer, she taught at a junior high school in Washington, D.C. and would teach this song to her singers in the Glee Club. Um, This track would then go on to be a breakout hit for her. She initially recorded it, I believe, in 1969, um, but it got some play in 1971 on like a Clint Eastwood film and then was really fully out there into the world in 72, became a big hit, was number one on the billboard charts that year. Um, awesome tune. I'll admit, hadn't heard this this track um, before doing, doing a little research and diving. Had you guys heard this track before? No. I think like, yes, but I don't, I can't remember in what context. And it, it could have been the Clint Eastwood movie. It was just on at some point in my childhood. I don't know. <laughs> That's such... But it sounded familiar sure, to me right maybe, away. Maybe so it's something, you know. <laughs> but I don't like know it is what I'm getting at. Fair enough. Fair enough. So... Let's talk about the tune itself. Harmonically, super diatonic, opens up with everybody's favorite progressional 251. The first time ever I saw your face. The is pretty interesting. It's like three verses, and every verse is 17 bars each. Love that. It's very cyclical feeling. There isn't a big hook. It just kind of flows beautifully from from one section to the next. Um, Everything is like super diatonic except the use of a flat seven chord. Very prominent use uh, at the end of every verse. And then at the end of the song and the outro, flat seven galore. Your face, your face, your face. This isn't even like really a note or a thought, but like you have to mention the impeccable vocals. Like, of course, the control is incredible. Uh, Roberta Flack's voice is on like from another planet, really. Like, there's even the like really almost almost belty moments the tone never wavers it's just so clear and i'm trying to avoid saying the word warm because that gets (laughs) used so much in tone but there's such a clarity in tone and precision i felt the earth move in my One of my favorite notes, it's kind of dark, but um, apparently Roberta Flack was thinking of her pet cat during the recording, oh. uh, which had been run over and died. So, you know, she ta- she's able to tap into something and um, go method almost for this, uh, this performance. Yeah, that's a real actor move. Yeah, you got to have... You gotta have space to like really fully immerse yourself in this track. You can't just like passively listen to this track. Mm. It's also yeah being a ballad like this. I I often have I I have I have ADD and it's just like I I don't always do super well with listening to ballads like this. But there's something about the quality of her voice and delivery where everything like you guys were saying feels so intentional mm-hmm. in the delivery that it kind of 
it it is more captivating than your average ballad. I was also I was yeah. I was clocking it as we were listening. I I was hoping it was going to be. It sounded like it could have been around fifty BPM, but yeah. it's a little bit faster. It's a little bright. That's a, a direction that I considered too for this episode. Yeah, not a lot of fifty. You know what? Uh, question for you guys. So, mm-hmm. so songs like this. This is going to sound insane. Um, but. Every now and then you run into a song that's written like this kind of like sort of second person-y thing. I mean, it's first person, but you know where it's directed to a you. (sighs) This is a song where I like my brain tricks itself into feeling like she truly is singing to me. (laughs) And maybe that's an insane thing to say, but there's something about her delivery that I feel like flattered yeah. as i listen to it somehow it's not insane at all i think that's that's beautiful i've never it, that's like i feel cared about i've even never though had... she has like clearly no i like no idea who i am because i wasn't born when she was singing this <laughs> like, well and maybe she was performing and singing in a way that that she really wanted that to to resonate with the listener and wanted them to feel that it was it was sung to them. It's it's just I'm trying to wrestle with the fact that I don't feel like I've ever had that experience oh, listening to music before, where it was just for me. I maybe some instrument instrumental music I, I listen to, and it does feel like almost where you you find a nice part or, or just place in nature, and it feels like that that space is just for you. You know, like the trees yeah. are just perfectly dense and it's so green and lush and like nobody else is there to experience so so yeah, I think it's uh, yeah take done. us there carter take us yeah, there <laughs> i will take you there um that's that's what i that's what i do for fun is just get lost in the wilderness try and try and fight my voices, way out though you know like last week yeah. we talked about rufus wainwright and i think his voice has the same uh like unspeakable quality that roberta flax does where you feel taken care of by the song somehow i don't know what that is or no obviously like boy bands did it on purpose (laughs) um (laughs) but but yeah there's something about this where i feel honored and flattered and cared for as i listen to it Mm. I do want to um, cap things off with a quote <laughs> from Roberta Flack herself, um, just in, in talking about the song. It's from the Daily Telegraph in 2019. It's a fairly recent quote. Um, it's a perfect song, second only to Amazing Grace, I think. Uh, it's the kind of song that has two unique and distinct qualities. It tells a story and it has lyrics that mean something. Because of uh, its meaningful lyrics, the song can be interpreted by a lot of people in a lot of different ways. The love of a mother for a child, for example, huh. or that of two lovers. I wish mm-hmm. more songs I had chosen had moved me the way that one did. I've loved most every song ever recorded, but that one was pretty special. Lovely quote from Roberta and couldn't agree more. Um, I'm ready to move on to our second 50 song. Uh, are you guys ready to rip? Wait, hold on a second. I just discovered the existence of Rubina Flake. Did this come up in your research at all? Because this is going to be an internet rabbit hole I go down later. Apparently, Roberta Flack had, like, an, I think, an alternate identity. Oh, my God. This Time article is calling it a daydream twin invented in early childhood. Named Rubina Flake. <laughs> All right. We don't have to talk about that anymore, but I will be Googling that later. <laughs> Listeners, if, if you hear this and you have insights, send them to us, please. Thank you. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm going to fade in <laughs> the next song right there. Oh, it's the her thank classical you. It's side. Okay, anyway. Um, so here we go. Second selection. <laughs> You can say the sun is shining if you really want to I can see the moon and it seems so clear You can take a road that takes you to the stars Now I can take a road that'll see me through I can take a road that'll see me through Alright, Marty, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? This is a song called Road by the artist Nick Drake off of his final full-length record, Pink Moon, from... The year 1972. Yeah, so... <laughs> so you guys went in the same direction. So we did. Yeah. Um, the, the theme is now songs from 1972. No, it is not. Is, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> mad about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mark, um, were there any other um, roads that you 
considered going down. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, that was unintentional, but uh, <laughs> landed it perfectly. I, Pun <laughs> unintended, <laughs> but perfect. Yeah, I I had a hard time with the the theme at first as well. Um, my brain went to other things that had to do with 50, like the 50 United States of America. So I thought about the presidents of the United States. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I also thought about the 50th state of the United States of America. Oh. And I was thinking about traditional Polynesian music. And then oh. I felt completely underqualified to discuss such things. So I chose not to go that route. Wait, I'm qualified was... to discuss such things. We should have talked about that. Anyway. We should have talked. Well, <laughs> all right. That, that may, we'll Dang, talk about it that later. that didn't even occur to me. We'll anyway, do that. Sorry. We'll do that uh, um, as a theme. Yeah. There's no, there's no reason we can't. Um, <laughs> I almost went with, to that end, uh, songs from bands from Washington, D.C., which should be the 51st state. Um, so I thought about that. And then I also thought about the, uh, I went more general, like the 50, the 50 worst songs of all time. What is, you were, you were thinking best songs. I was thinking, what do people think is the 50th worst song of all time? Did you Turns get an out, answer for that? Blender Magazine has a good breakdown. Of course the answer, do. the definitive answer is, uh, is Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Whoa. From the Titanic soundtrack, clocking in at 99.5 BPM, just eking under uh, 100, which is basically 50. Yeah. Did you actually look, because you mentioned the tempo thing, did you actually try to find something at 50 BPM? Because I did. I did for a second, and then I figured that you're really talking about a very special class of music that exists it's in that scoring. tempo. <laughs> and it's mostly, yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly hard to find. Um but then I, I came back around to trying to keep it more simple, and I thought about songs from 50 years ago, and then I found a nice uh, article. Well, I found a bunch of different sources, but there's a great article in Paste magazine, mm-hmm. the 20 best albums of 1972, and there are some real bangers from that year um, in terms of just songs. Uh, Stevie Wonder's Superstition is on oh, that yeah. list. Um, some Rocket of Bill Man. Withers' biggest hits of all time, including Who Is He and What Is He to You, which I almost chose, mm-hmm. uh, Use Me, and his his most probably best known song, Lean On Me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, some other ones, Steely Dan, Can't Buy a Thrill, Ziggy Stardust, Ooh. 1972, Al Green, Let's Stay Together. Yeah. Tremendous, oh. tremendous record, and, and many, many others. Just Just a great era of music, but... Pink Moon is the one I I knew the best and honestly is basically become a, a desert island record for me at this point. It's just absolutely one of my favorite records of all time. So what made you pick Road? You know, Pink Moon is the one that um that most people know because yeah. that's the one that sort of was on Scrubs. <laughs> was on Scrubs, was first um sort of it it was on um no, that wasn't the one. It was one of these things first was the one that was on the oh. Garden State soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. But thank you, Zach Braff. Yes, thank you very <laughs> much. Um, but the there was a Volkswagen commercial featuring Pink Moon that played everywhere all of the time that really sort of like brought his uh, legacy back into the limelight. And it's a beautiful track, but uh, it's there's something about... It, it was really hard to choose a, a song off this record because the record just feels so cohesive um i really love just listening down to it from top to bottom Mm -hmm. but there's something about this track uh the 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 sort of push and pull of the rhythm and the simplicity of the delivery um in this one in particular that just i can listen to this song over and over and over and over again i love that there's the little the the figure in the main guitar part where he kind of like throws this little triplet thing in there quarter um, trip rhythmically Debatable if it's a triplet or if it's Daradays in, in, in yeah. an eighth note. Can look at it yourself, but I I love that sort of like which is it? I don't know. <laughs> That's always it always tickles me. Um, and then just the the simplicity of the topics lyrically. I mean yeah. that's true across the record. Um, for some context, this was his last record. He died two years later at the age of 26. Yeah. Uh, he suffered deeply from depression throughout his entire career. Basically never performed except for, I think, maybe only once. And it kind of tanked his career. 
uh, in that era, you really needed to perform in order to support a record you were putting out. Yeah. And he, he just wouldn't and couldn't do it. You know, he's, he's got sort of a, a tough legacy um, in terms of what he went through. And, and the, the general consensus uh, among people more studied than I am in this is that he was really dealing with a lot of his feelings of depression and um, sort of the dissociative sense of reality um, in, in this time in his life and just trying to like rein it in. He was on antidepressants and he mm -hmm. was trying to like get himself together and, and figure out how to keep going. My understanding is a lot of the lyrical content is, is dealing with that. So Road is like, you know, it's, uh, you can say the sun is shining if you really want to, kind of speaks for itself. I can see the moon and it seems so clear. You can take the road that leads you to the stars now. I can take a road that'll see me through. Yeah. You can take a road that takes you to the stars now. I can take a road that'll see me through. I can take a road that'll see me through. And then he just repeats that, basically. And that's the whole song. I mean, it's he's really keeping it simple in this one. But it, there's something so powerful to that simplicity of all the lyrics on this whole record, this is lyrically the one that always sticks with me the most. Um, lots to love from this, and curious what your guys' thoughts are, what your relationship is to this song and record, if you have any. I, I do not. Um, I <laughs> had heard this before, but I think it was again, like in passing. Mm. It's so beautiful. Uh, I, I was... It was great to to be able to list like listen to it over and over and over and over again and again lyrically, it was so memorable. One, I think, mostly because it was so short, and and that was kind of refreshing to have uh, some powerful lyrics in a short song, but like not that many coming at you, so that like the actual meaning you can absorb through one listen, um, which for me was great because I don't I don't do a very good job of of deciphering, and and I don't even think I tried to decipher this. It just was, it's very contemplative, which I think as we're celebrating a great number of episodes, it's great to reflect on things. And I feel mm. like this track mm -hmm. represented that feeling very well. And I'm to, like, dude, again, the album cover for this is That's so really sick. Good. Like mm -hmm. it, it's fantastic. So I'm looking yeah. forward to digging into the rest of the record. I really am. Yeah. This whole album doesn't sound as old as it is. Like when you brought this up, I was like, is that is there a different Nick Drake that I'm not thinking of? Because in my head, he's like a 90s artist or something, you know? Like, it just feels so, like, this whole album, it's him with either guitar or piano all the way through, right? I don't, I think that's it. So it's this guitar, this yeah. is an interesting record uh, in terms of his, he has three full-length records. The first two records were with full band, yeah. guitar, piano, bass, drums. I mean, the first record has probably my favorite song of his of all time, which is River Man. Um, which you probably have heard. You've certainly heard people covering <laughs> it before. Um, has this super incredible, lush uh, orchestral string arrangement. Right. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite string arrangements I've ever heard. Period, hands down. Calling for her mind again. She lost the pain. This was his departure from that. He really just wanted to simplify. And aside from, I think, on one song, which has a piano overdub, it's just him and a guitar. Mm -hmm. The whole record, mm. which which is unusual for him. But it feels weirdly contemporary for that. Mm -hmm. Like Even though yep. like there's nothing modern about man and guitar. Yeah. I mean, he's so he... Uh, another thing about it is not only was he not as well known in his own time when he was alive uh, because of his lack of performances um, and the labels push back on promoting him because he wouldn't perform. But also um, he wasn't like super lauded from critics. Critics saw a lot of potential in him in his first couple records and then really um, balked at this record when he downsized mm. when, um, when other bands were going bigger, bolder, rock and roll you know right. broader like <laughs> ziggy stardust was, yeah. was in the same year like you know the sphere of popular music was pushing away from folk and he was trying to get back to folk um but we've gone through you know in the last 50 years a couple of different waves of, of folk renaissance and he has become 
uh, more and more revered and lauded uh, over time. You can say the sun is shining if you really wonder I can see the moon and it seems so clear. You can take a road that takes you to the stars now. I love a good reference to the moon, <laughs> like for so many reasons. But this song's got, or this album, Pink Moon has has is obviously about the moon. Road is has this moon line. I feel like there's another one somewhere. I don't remember if the whole. Anyway, but what I like about this song in particular is how much the lyrics feel almost like like a mantra, mm-hmm. which we talk mm-hmm. about him too much on the podcast. But I remember Ryan Lott talking about how he approached lyrics like that at one point no i I think that connection that connection is super valid yeah because you get these really like they sound simplistic but they're these really profound deep lyrics Mm -hmm. that would be so hard to come up with if you're like i'm gonna write lyrics kind of thing you know but instead (laughs) you get these mantras that you're forced to meditate on Mm -hmm. and they mean a little bit more every time because of that Um, yeah i mean the the line i can take a road that'll see me through it really Sounds like a mantra he's saying to himself in this mm-hmm. moment where he's trying to just mm-hmm. get from one day to the next and he's having yeah. a real time of that, you know? And it starts to feel different. Like sometimes in the course of the song, you hear that and it sounds like perseverance. And at other times mm-hmm. you hear that and you feel really sad. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful selection. Uh, anything else from, from Road you'd like to touch on before our final selection? Yeah, the form is super interesting in that it's also so simple. In the way that I just, I love the way that folk treats form so much where there's a statement and then there's a counter statement and then a restatement and then maybe we go somewhere else, maybe we don't. In this case, it's, yeah. you know, statement, counterstatement, statement, counterstatement, and we're done. And the counterstatement in the middle, at the end of the phrase, like just cuts out two beats, just like yeah. those two beats are gone. And that's such a folk thing to do, like... Oh, there's five bars, and I'm just gonna vamp on this for yeah. like that's such a folk. I I love the way that folk treats form like that. Well, it's like you an never instinctive know quite thing. It's so happen. fluid, yeah, and instinctive. Yeah. yeah, great pick, great pick, Marty. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our final selection for episode fifty. All right, Mejia, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? We are not listening to John Legend's All of Me, which was the song that very nearly became my pick this morning until I remembered I had already spent a good chunk of yesterday researching this piece, um, which is Paul Hindemith's Concert Music for String Orchestra and Brass. Um, I have to learn how to speak other languages at least well enough to read names correctly, but my German accent is nearly as bad as my French. Let's hear it. Um, well, concert music with the K and a, a Z. Quick pause. What was all of me's uh, attachment to 50? Why was that? So I'm like going the same direction. Yeah. As the two of Glad you didn't pick some from 1972. So that would have been sick. Though. Yeah, that would have been funny. I did consider it. And then I was like, mm, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't feel on the nose enough for me. I do sort of reject the premise of picking a 50-minute piece of music to talk about as a song on a podcast about songs. It's like 14 minutes, I think, right? Like, yeah, this this is not 50. It's but not I, 50 minutes. I, I send also you, I sent you a 15-minute recording, a YouTube video because it was Hindemith conducting, and that was sick. kind of great. <laughs> I did try to find that, and there were like a bunch of like crazy metal songs, I was like say metal. Uh, yeah. like like black metal songs. I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this so because I, I would have had to listen to all of it yeah that'd be and tough. then you know but anyway yeah all of me yeah. though like what was i the did think that? about all of me because all of me is playing at the 50 minute mark on the u.s version of now that's what i call music volume 50 let's see <laughs> wow folks that's why you tune in to and watch it's a Mahaya's song I know brain well because just, of the year that I graduated I can't from even... college yeah i accompanied a few singers not a few i think like two or three singers wow. for their um juries or whatever it was called when we were in school um so i knew it well enough i was like this could be easy for me but i decided i shouldn't go the easy route this time around it's a beautiful song you 
all your perfect imperfections. Some really interesting harmony, in it, actually, for the pop song. But, um, but yeah, this obviously isn't that. <laughs> this is a very different direction. Had either of you ever heard this piece, or or anything by Hindemith, for that matter? I had not. No. He definitely came up in music history for both of you, but he is unfortunately often treated as like, you know, as just like as a quick mention. So you're just calling both of us out as not a little bit. Well, Carter did better at me in music history. Yeah, that's see, I can I can take the barbs because at the end of the day, we know what happened in that (laughs) course. The (laughs) records show what they show. Yeah. Um. But no, he is a or was a. German composer who eventually got U.S. citizenship, so America sometimes claims him as an American composer because he wrote a lot of the music here. But he was a contemporary of people like um, Arnold Schoenberg, though contemporary is a little bit of a strange word to say because musically they're very not quite opposite but opposing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes any sense. Like they're not starkly different, but their ideologies and how they approach harmony are. But like. It's fair if you like both composers, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Mm, mm. But while people like Schoenberg and um, his school of thought represent almost a rebellion to the way that tonality has is traditionally approached, you know, where it's like you have a key and you're sticking to this one key and everything resolves like the way that you want it to, um, Schoenberg and his crew uh, <laughs> went the atonal route, whereas Hindemith his music is in many ways a return to traditional tonality with a little more built into that because of, you know, the fact that it was a couple centuries since Bach was writing. <laughs> mm. That's really interesting because listening to this piece, when you hear the main theme come in, or there are several themes, but like there's something you can latch onto. There's still yeah. some like uh, almost dissonance, at yep. least chromaticism uh, surrounding that theme. Well, it's an interesting time period for music, right? So this premiered in 1931. And in that era, you have jazz happening. (laughs) You you know, you have folk happening. You have traditional classical music happening. And you also have Mm -hmm. like modernist classical music happening. Hindemith is further complicated by the fact that um, not when this piece was written, but for parts of his career, he was living under the Nazi regime in Germany. So creating art was not the same experience (laughs) for him as it was for some of the other people who were writing music at the time. He premiered an opera the year that Hitler came into power that was banned by the Nazi party eventually. Um, His life is interesting to look into. I don't, like, this is supposed to be a celebratory episode, so I won't get too deep into that here. I have a moment I'd like to listen to from from this piece. I would love to do that. There is a really cool... Uh, displacement of the same melodic figure mm. early on in this track, mm-hmm. and it's something you can do track. so track, yeah, uh, <laughs> in the early part of this composition. It, it's such a simple thing. You take a very simple melody, and instead of you just start it on a different beat, basically, or even a different part of the beat. So mm-hmm. you'll hear this is for the listeners. You guys, you guys know the drill, of course, but you'll hear the the, the first part of this melody start on the offbeat. And then it starts on the downbeat, and then it'll start on the offbeat again. Very, very sick. Let's see if we can pull that out. Yeah. So sick. It's the same figure. It's just one is syncopated and one is on the downbeat. It's, love Honestly, that. So metal. Do that. Yeah. People so do that more. It's awesome. The thing about Hindemith that is awesome to me, most awesome, I should say, because like harmonically, yes, it, it has some really powerful harmonic moments. Rhythmically, like it's strange to say, but for this being like an orchestral piece, it like has a groove to it. You know? This track absolutely slaps. <laughs> His treatment of rhythm for and, and for of harmony and melody for staying kind yeah. of in these traditional lines in many ways and how he writes like he's a great person to study if you want to get good at counterpoint he writes Mm, great counterpoint following traditional guidelines for the most part but Mm. his approach to rhythm is so interesting like this piece is in three two which in itself is 
like it's one of those time signatures where you see and you're like, okay, what are you like? Why bother? What are you doing here? But it makes sense because you have those displacement moments and yet they all like all the parts fit together. It's pretty sick, honestly. <laughs> yeah, the the find the one of this piece is is kind of tricky in spots mm-hmm. too. It's like, and I, I can't help like it's fun to listen to music and let go of that. It's fun to listen and be like, well, I don't even care right now. Just let it happen to me. But it, it is kind of difficult to. It's a bit of a giving give up. up. Yeah, it's a lot of giving <laughs> up. Um, but yeah, awesome, awesome yeah. piece. Yeah. Oh, I haven't even told you why I picked it though. Yeah, I was just. <laughs> well, we know it wasn't from 1972, so like I don't. No. Why would you pick this song? So this song is, um, like I said, it's it's concert music for string orchestra and brass, but it's also uh, Opus 50. It was commissioned by the Boston Symphony Orchestra for their 50th anniversary, making it one of the first commissions that they ever commissioned. There's a better way to say that. But mm. but yeah, so that's pretty huge. <laughs> yeah. It was the 1930-1931 season. In addition to Hindemith, they commissioned works from composers like Igor Stravinsky, Aaron Copland, and Sergei Prokofiev. So Mm. he's in good company. Like I said, he shouldn't be treated like a footnote in the way that he is for a lot of music history classes. Let me give you some more 50s. Are you ready? (laughs) Absolutely. So since premiering the piece back in 1931, the Boston Symphony Orchestra has performed it 54 times. 50 of those performances occurring one of the 50 u.s states also three times in germany and once in spain so there you go 50s uh hindemith only conducted one of those performances himself he conducted um the performance at tanglewood for the 1939 1940 season so there's one more 50s thing there there right is it no, I was I that so I said we had some that, and that I only named two. Yeah, yeah which I'm is sorry. still good. Is that not enough? I feel no, like it's, it's a lot. No, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Marty and I each had one, and yeah, and it yeah. related to fifty. And yeah, no, you once again find a way to to make the theme like you just like yeah. I don't know how you do with these themes, but for. it's yeah, it's it's something awesome. He celebrated as a music theorist. He wrote music that was intended to be performed, like sung by people in their houses. Um, it was called house music, which is really funny to me. That's it's, it's different. House music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm, I'm going to sample you saying that. Yeah. It's called music. House music. That's honestly the best I've ever pronounce, pronounced, pronounced a word in another language oops, on the show. House music. <laughs> right? Oops. But yeah, so he like he wrote a music he wrote music specifically for that purpose. He also has a piece that has um I think it's got to be a background line. I don't remember, but he has a piece that has a line specifically intended to be sung by the audience because he thought mm. the audience should participate in music. And there's a community thing to that that can definitely be misconstrued as being kind of like militant, but my understanding mm. is that wasn't what he was going for. Um but yeah, interesting guy, interesting piece of music. I know Marty, you brought up that piece. It's like f- there that moment it's like 14 minutes in on the other recording um it i believe it's right about near the start of the second movement there's just some good harmony in this man <laughs> yeah there's like there's just like there's this moment where the i i think it's a trumpet, it a trumpet or is it a yeah okay um the trumpet just has this just unbelievably gorgeous um uh performance of this lead line and underneath it is this just super lush it's essentially like a lydian just a lydian bed for Mm. for like a solid five seconds Mm -hmm. and i just that is where i live musically that is my (laughs) my dreamscape Great arranger. Not somebody that I know nearly enough about. Like, I really only knew about his um, work from having to analyze some of it in arranging classes. Digging into his life, I'm not going to pretend I'm any kind of expert on this. Uh, Feel free to fact check me on anything I said, but this is definitely someone I will continue to try to learn more about. His music is powerful. (laughs) 
So guys, 50 episodes. Done. That's great. Yeah. Something to celebrate. Um, yeah. I'll... I'll wrap this one on this note because usually we talk about what everybody's up to musically and that's always fun and and I would love to know what you guys are doing musically but I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to do something different. So um, what are are some themes you'd like to see in the next 50 episodes? Oh my gosh. I just decided I want to do phobia songs. since. Yeah, we should definitely do phobia songs. That's sick. I want um, songs based on images. Ooh. Love that. So too. you could actually do the the opera that Hindemith wrote because that's based on a, a triptych painting. Mm. Uh, yeah, would love to see more. Uh, I know this is not a theme, but like more guests who are not musicians Me by too. trade. Yep. See what they have to love bring. that. I really want to have a dancer on. That's like my number one. Hey, if you're a dancer, podcast at soundfly.com. <laughs> Let's get you on the show. I would love to do it. I have a dream. It's going to be the much music episode, all Canadian panel, all Ooh, Canadian so songs. Marty and I are sitting that one uh, out. You have to have like, <laughs> I guess Jeremy is citizen. I'll have my parents on. Um, yeah, I could have Jeremy and Zoe. Zoe definitely for sure yeah. as uh, as a Canadian, but uh, we'll make that happen. I people probably won't listen to it, but, but we'll oh, make that. Yeah, I got really sad. Canada is um, at the top of like all the charts in the last 10 years. What are yeah, you talking what are you about? talking about? Like some of the most popular music right. in the world. It's talking Canadian. about. That's true. That's <laughs> true. There's a lot of, a lot of pretty big Canadian artists and a lot of artists. Who are like, I didn't know they were Canadian. Yes. Celine we Dion. talked about Dion. her already. Drake, yeah. The Weeknd, Bieber. Bieber. I could keep going and going and going. Fallout Boy. No, not Fallout Boy. They're not Canadian. Getty um, Lee. Getty Lee's brother, probably. Yeah. <laughs> And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to listen to every track mentioned on this episode, be sure to check out the Spotify playlist in our show notes. Remember, from now until September 17th, it's your chance to enter the summer of Synthwave Comtrue's remix contest. Head to soundfly.com, sign up for a subscription to get started. Thank you for celebrating 50 episodes with us here on the podcast. And if you got any theme suggestions for the next 50 episodes, drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.